All right, last point there. Sanctification is a process that requires many factors. Now, in other words, making a disciple requires many factors, right? All right, let's talk about this a little bit and how this would play out in, um, in counseling people. I want you to put yourself for a second in, in the mind, or not in the mind, but in the life of Johnny Erickson Tata when she just broke her neck. 19-year-old, wasn't she 19 roughly? Seven, 18, 19? 17, okay. 17-year-old baby Christian, pretty much young, immature Christian, dove in, broke her neck. Okay, she goes to your church. What are you going to say to her? You go visit her at the hospital. She's upside down. She's in this contraption. What do you say to her? I'm probably going to listen. <laughs> are you going to listen? Amen. Okay, so she says, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? Four years later, she's still quadriplegic. She just had somebody take her to a faith healer. And her boyfriend left her right after that because she didn't have enough faith. What do you say now? Absolutely. The, the, the interesting thing is, is that if you look at Johnny Erickson Tata's life, throughout her life there were different people that came into her life at different times and dealt with different issues. She was at different churches even. She was at different, she had lived in different cities, had different nurses, had different people. So what is sanctification for a person that's got some mega problems and trials like that? How does that look? It's not one person. It's a lot of things. Now, the lady I met ministered to me. You know, she counseled me. I mean, as she turned the corner with the smile on her face, I just started bawling. But it didn't happen overnight. And maybe hundreds of people. 
and my, and hundreds of events. All that said, why is this important, beloved? Because it's the same way with us. We have to see that when we're counseling people that we're, we're, we're giving them hope, but we're not necessarily going to fix everything. And we've got to allow God to do, be God in people's lives and get them there. All right? So let's look at sanctification. Biblical counseling is participating in the sanctification of believers. It's participating in it. Being a part of it. You might not be the main star. You might not be the MVP. You might just be one little voice on one day. But that counseling can be dramatic. This is sanctification. I know, cheesy chart. Here we go. Cheesy chart. Biblical counselors always have cheesy charts. So here's my cheesy chart. The first little symbol is the Trinity, the symbol of the Trinity. Ultimately, sanctification is God at work in people. He's the ultimate counselor, correct? He's the ultimate one that brings about restoration. He's the one that gives repentance. It's the Father who chose us, right? It's the Father who adopted us as beloved children. He's the one that's continually working in our lives as the Father who ordained our salvation. He ordained our good works, as Ephesians 2.10 states. We pray to Him. We talk to Him. He's the one that brings about sanctification. He's the one that gives us our daily bread. He's the one that keeps us from temptation. He's, he's the one we talk to, right? So ultimately, this sets us apart from all secular psychology because what? Secular psychology does not include who? God at all, ultimately. But we pray to Him. We talk to Him. He's the one that causes us to change. The Son is the one who we can, that empathizes with us. He's our high priest. He became a man. He's gone through. He's suffered, you know? We know all these things, that He died for us, that He... Uh, ascended to heaven and he's now interceding on our behalf as our high priest all the time. All these truths are truths and theological truths that we all need to understand in order for sanctification to happen. And it's why sanctification happens. How do I know that uh, Claire Dean is going to look more like Christ in 30 years than today? How do I know that? Well, because... She has a faithful high priest that's interceding for her on behalf of her all the time. She's talking to the Father, and when he asks the Father to do something, guess what? It happens. I know it. Even if she feels like a total failure, I know Jesus wins. And he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Why? Because God's working. That's great hope, isn't it? So you look at your circumstance, everybody in the room, and you say, I just can't do this. Right? You can't. But God will. He will. Why? Because we know it's true. God's the one that's going to bring about sanctification in your life. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. And He's with us always. And He is Lord of our lives. And then there's the Spirit. What's the Spirit do? Uh-oh. A master's grad is going to talk about the Holy Spirit. 
What's he do? Huh? He comforts us. Okay, yeah. He convicts us. Look at these passages. I want to look them up. John 16, 8. Look at it. John 16, 8. Somebody read John 16, 8. I'm going to focus a little bit more on the Spirit because I think it's I think He is the one that is left out of the counseling process way too much. 16, 8 to 11. All right, so what does the Spirit bring? Conviction, okay? Okay, so here you go. You're sitting here, you're talking in the counseling room, you're talking to somebody, and you see it's obvious sin problem, and you say, well, this is what it is. This is the Bible says this. This says that it, this is a sin. You've got to repent. And they say, okay, I hear you. And they walk out, no change. Who do you need? The Spirit. <laughs> You need the Holy Spirit to work in the person's life. He's the only one that's going to bring them to the end of themselves where they will do what? Look up and repent. He's the one that does that. He also teaches us from His Word. Turn over to 14, 25. 14, 25, and 26. Somebody read that. 14, 25, and 26. Okay, now, here you go. I want you, I'm going to do my proper hermeneutic here. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the apostles in the upper room. He's telling them that he's going to bring to remembrance what he said to them, right? I'm very thankful. How about you? We got a perfect, accurate, but here, and I want you to listen to me closely. I think it applies to the believer. It's, I think there's an uh, an extended application, and it's this, that when we put Scripture in our minds, the Holy Spirit uses the Scripture, it's His Word, to bring it to mind, to help us, to remind us. <gasps> I know I sound very mystical here, but I'm telling you, I know it's true. Have you ever been at the edge of doing a sin, and you think a Scripture pops in your mind, and you go, oh, probably shouldn't do that. Lord, forgive me for even thinking this. That happened? I think that's the Spirit of God bringing Scripture to our lives. I know that sounds mystical, but I think it's the truth. I think it's a spiritual issue. And God works in our lives and brings Scripture to our minds. And He can convict us. You know, I was sitting here, even as I'm going through this and writing these, I'm, I'm, I'm writing out my notes. Scripture is just piling into my brain. What about this verse? What about that verse? What about this verse? I want to believe that the Spirit's working with my spirit to remind me of Scripture. I think it happens. I believe it happens. I believe that this applies to us. Am I off my rocker, Mark? Okay. Not on this one. <laughs> 
Thank you, brother. <laughs> Nothing like a little bit of humbling there. He teaches us through his word. He's indwelling in us. 1416. 1416. Look at that one. 1416 and 17. Somebody read that. 1416. 1416 and 17. Amen. He's, he says to the disciples, he's with you, but he'll be in you. And I think this is New Covenant talk. That the Spirit of God abides in our souls, beloved. This is glorious truth. Okay, you say, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with it. Well, you've got one living within you that will help you to what? Deal with it. He's there. He's with you. He's in you. He's working. He's omnipotent, omnipotent. He's, uh, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's God. He's sovereign. He's able to work in your soul, and He lives within you. You, get, you cannot get away from Him. Know where, you, know where you go? Why am I talking like a... It's getting too late. No... No matter where you go, thank you, word, man, matter. No matter where you go, you can't get away from him. You can't. He's always with you. And he will help us. Praise God, right? This is the counsel you've got to tell people. This is just simple biblical counseling that you've got to teach theology. That's why it goes back to that theology book. If you know these things, it helps you when you're in those jams. The Spirit of God dwells within you. He's called the helper and the help in both those places. The helper, the word is what? You could translate it counselor. You could literally translate that to counselor. Who is the great counselor? The Holy Spirit. And he does a great job. So you say, well, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like this? Maybe it's because we're not meditating on who he is and what he's doing. Maybe it's because our minds and our hearts are not, don't have his, he doesn't have our attention. We're not focused on him. That's what we need. He's with us. And he produces fruit. Galatians 5, turn over there. Have you ever heard, have you ever said, we'll say it this way, we'll put it on ourselves. Somebody, Galatians 5, 22. Get ready to read somebody, 22 and 23. Galatians 5. Have you ever heard this? When I'm driving, it, when I'm driving, people just need to understand that I'm going to be angry. Whenever I'm driving, if you get in my way, I'm going to be angry. What is that? Uh, it's premeditated sin. I want to get behind the wheel and be sinful. What are we talking about? The Spirit of God dwells within us. It doesn't matter where you are. He can still produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Right? No matter where you are. If, you're, if he's not producing the fruit of the Spirit, the problem is you. 
It's not that he doesn't do it. The problem is you. What needs to happen? Repentance. Yes. Repentance and restoration. Because a right walk with God, when you go into the car, you're praying and you're worshiping God. And you're like, here comes an opportunity to worship God. And the Spirit of God does what? He gives you the fruit of the Spirit. 5, 22 and 23. Somebody read it. Amen. I'm thankful, isn't it? Great stuff. The Spirit of God produces fruit. He also helps us to mortify sin. I can't kill this sin. You just denied what the Bible says. Why? Because the Bible says that you can. Why? Because God will help you do it. Romans 8. Look at it. Romans 8. 13. Romans 8, 13. I know I'm making y'all jump around, but these, these are great passages. Somebody read Romans 8, 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting death to the body, you Who's helping us put to death the deeds of the body? Spirit of God. He wants us to walk in joy and freedom from sin. He wants us to have victory over these sins. And he does work in our lives to do it. Right? Everybody agree? Do you believe it? Yeah. And he gives assurance. We know those from the passage right there where Verse 16, 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit gives assurance. All right, so what do we need? We need, for sanctification to happen, we have to have the triune God. All three members of the Trinity have to work in us for that to happen. If that's happening, we're going to be sanctified. Also, we need a new heart. We've talked about this. You must be born again. In order for sanctification to happen, you cannot live a life that glorifies God without a new heart. That's a fact. How do we know? Look over at 1 John chapter 1. No, excuse me. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. Somebody read that. 1 John 2, 29. I know I'm making you turn around in your Bible, or you can just do it on your phone and you can get there real quick. 1 John 2, 29. Go. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. If the continual pattern of our life is righteousness, it's because why? We're born again. We have a new heart. God did it. Look at 3, 9. Somebody read that. 3, 9. 1 John 3, 9. Wow. So what does that mean? Well, it obviously doesn't mean that he never sins ever again because then you'd have to throw out chapter 1. Chapter 1 says what? If we sin, we have a 
uh, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it also says confess your sins, right? But it's talking about the direction of our life and those that are, are born of God have a different direction. And that is that we're not in continual habitual sin. We're not in bondage to sin anymore. Why? Because the Spirit of God has given us a new heart. We're alive. We're able to do that. We're able to obey Him. All right. How many times do we... This, I hear this so often from Christians, too. and All of us do it. I know I've done it many times in my life, so I'm not judging. Um, we say things like, well, that's just who I am. We say that. That's just who I am. I was raised that way. That's who I am. Well, no. If you're born again, you're a born-again child of God. You have a new identity. You must understand that and not use that as an excuse for your sin. You're actually doing what when you do that? You're denying God. You're denying what God has done in you. That's a wild thought, but think about this. How many of you have a, a problem when Peter says, I do not even know him? Anybody have a problem with that when, Jesus, when Peter did that? I don't even know him. He cursed and said, I don't know him. Every time we use our identity and we say it's not who we really are, we're denying Christ again. We're denying the power of God that's worked in our hearts. This is so important. Identity, 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 identity. New heart. The Bible. We understand that the Scripture guides us and leads us and directs us. And we know 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Look at it real quick. Come on, we're there. We're almost there. Hang in there. Y'all are tired, aren't you? Some of you. Hang in there. We, if we push real hard, i got five minutes, and then you can ask me questions. 118, you ready? There we go. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who, uh-oh, 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 who are being saved, it is the power of God. Who are being saved, that's sanctification. What is the gospel? Say it's sanctifying us. It's setting us apart. It's changing us. The, God, the Bible does this. It also is wisdom. We know from Proverbs, right, that it gives us wisdom. And one of the persons asked me at the break, um, can the Bible help an unbeliever? Can the Bible help an unbeliever? The answer is yes. The Bible can help an unbeliever. It can help them, first and foremost, see that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, right? But it can also help in other ways. It can give practical wisdom. Read the Proverbs. There's practical wisdom in the Bible. Listen, when the commands are given, things like, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and if you will, like it has a promise with it that you will, your days will be long and you're on the earth, boy, that's a general principle that's applicable even for an unbeliever. Why? Why is it applicable even for an unbeliever? If you learn to submit to authority of your parents and you're submissive and obedient to your parents, it will probably mean you will be a submissive and obedient person that respects authority 
with your conscience when you're older. And you will live a long time as a general practice if you're respectful to authority. Do you understand? These are just these are common sense. So the Bible can help us even for that unbeliever. However, for the believer, it's converting and helps us to glorify God in all that we do. And then theology, like I mentioned. Look over at Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. As I said, I think that systematic theology is the is the beautiful picture. Somebody read Titus 1.9 for me. Titus 1.9. All right, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to hold fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, the doctrine, so that you will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That is, it's all about doctrine. And as you have this doctrine, you'll be able to teach doctrine, you'll be able to help people, you'll be able to help yourself ultimately too. Right? Systematic theology is a very, very important thing. This book, one of, the, one of its emphasis in, in, in the section is... He goes through and explains how the doctrine of God applies to, all, uh, to several different counseling circumstances. Just by knowing who God is. If you get who God is, and you understand what the scripture says about God and an attribute here, he then shows and gives an example and says, see how this applies to that one counseling situation? So again... You say, well, what book do I need to study? Well, get you a good systematic theology or study the Bible and systematize it. In other words, who is God? Who is Christ? Understand these truths and then it'll help you. And this is what makes our sanctification happen. Is doctrine important? Yeah, it's, it's the way we are sanctified. God uses it. All right. The church. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Listen. How... Does the church help us in our sanctification? Huh? Accountability, Accountability yeah. Provoking each other to uh, do good works. Okay, yeah, provoking each other to love and good deeds. Yep. Anybody else? Okay, I want you to listen. Listen closely. Why is it that there's so much of a need for biblical counseling now? Because people don't read their Bible. Yes, that's one. Yeah. They're not discipling one another. Yes. I think it's because there's a, a major problem in the church. And when I, when I say the church, I'm not saying all of the church. God's building his church and you're doing a great job. But a lot of churches aren't doing the very things that are necessary to help people to really be discipled. Okay. And what does that include? What are the ways that a person is discipled? How are you discipled, Wes? People giving you the word. Give me some examples of that. Because it's important. Okay, there's one on a one-to-one -one basis. What else are you hearing the word? Yeah, in the sermons. Yeah, where else are you hearing the word? Yeah, when you're participating in all these church events, what are you doing? You're hearing the word over and over and over and over. 
when you go and evangelize on Thursday at USF, what are you doing? You're rehearsing the gospel to other people, and therefore you're what? Ultimately, also, counseling your own soul. As you teach your kids, as you raise your kids, are you talking to them about the gospel? Are you telling them about that? All of this is the church. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, what are you doing? You go prepare it, and then you teach it. Listen, beloved, closely. There's mentoring, there's preaching, there's teaching, there's admonishing, there's encouragement, there's wise counsel, there's seeking counsel within the church, there's giving counsel in the church. Has anybody ever come up to you and asked, what do I do? What did you tell them? I hope you told them what the Bible says to do. If you didn't know what to tell them, what did you do? I don't know. Go talk to Pastor Mike. No. No. Say, I will get right back to you. I'm going to go study and I'll figure this out. Do you understand? You need to. We should all be admonishing one another and getting admonished, encouraging one another and being encouraged. What if it's a dearth and you're only getting admonished, but you're not admonishing anybody? Well, step up. What if you're encouraging, but nobody's encouraging you? Well, then encourage somebody to encourage you. What a profound thought, right? <laughs> Beloved, this is what the church does. We remind each other. It fellowships. Even at the picnic, what are we going to do? We're going to talk to each other. What are we going to talk about? We're just going to talk about basketball the whole time. No, or the NFL. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about their lives. We're going to talk about and encourage one another. And we're going to talk about the gospel and help people, right? We're not going to just get together and talk about politics, hopefully. Let's encourage one another. Love each other. Also, the church's accountability. How many of you gotten a text from me on, on Monday morning or Sunday night because you weren't here? A few of you. Why? Because I love you. I love you. I love you. I want you to know you're missed. How many times have you sent out texts to people that aren't here? You want to encourage them? I miss you. I love you. That's what the church does. We care about each other. We love each other. It's also the place for discipline too, isn't it? And what's discipline look like? Well, all we think of is getting voted out of the church. No, it's not. It's much more than that. It could be just one sin where we go to the person and talk to them in a gracious and loving and kind way and call them to repentance and restoration and the joy of the Lord. That's what Matthew 18 says, doesn't it? 
says, if you have a problem with your brother, you go to them in private and you talk to them and you encourage them. But if you're not a part of a church, then it's not going to work. But how does sanctification happen? It happens with all of that. It happens with all of that. It's not a biblical counselor only. <laughs> if you're not plugged into a church and you don't have all of those things going on, you're not serving and you're not getting all that, guess what? Sanctification's going to be hampered. But what people want is they want one person to fix their problems. When in fact, what really needs to happen is people need to invest in the body of Christ. Because it's the body of Christ, the preaching, the teaching, the mentoring, the accountability, the fellowship, the discipline, all of those things that helps us get through those things. Does this make sense? Got to be engaged. Even when it doesn't feel right, even when you don't want to, you still do it. And ask God to help you. We're almost there. Sanctification also involves time, as I mentioned. We won't go over that. You get it, right? It ain't going to happen overnight. And finally, it involves work. It involves work. You say, wait, Mike, work? Well, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's effort. How about 1 Timothy 4.7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Got to discipline yourself. How am I going to get better? You got to do the spiritual disciplines. That's the only way it's going to happen. You got to discipline yourself. Mortify the flesh. Well, if we're putting the death, the deeds of the body by the spirit, what does that imply? You're doing something too. <laughs> we have to be killing sin. Killing it all the time. Mortifying it all the time. Persevering in the faith. And as we'll talk about tomorrow, putting on and putting off. Putting on Christ-like behavior. Putting off old behaviors. Putting on Christ or putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And that is replacement. And, and this is just practical wisdom, right? Some of it's just common sense in many cases. If you have a problem with getting drunk... What should you do? Don't go to the bar. Instead, get your Bible. Does that sound too simplistic to me? Is it? But that's what he's getting at. You're a new person. Don't go to a place that's going to get you, what? In trouble. Do something that's going to honor God, and you're going to enjoy Him. You sound like a legalist, Mike. No, what? <laughs> I'm telling you what the Bible says. Does this make sense, beloved? All right. And as you're around other believers, they're going to help you and encourage you that way. It does take transparency, and the work takes vulnerability. What I mean by that is, you have to be willing to go up to a person and say, I have this issue. Okay? And you have to be willing to accept what they tell you to encourage you, too. We're all going to have to be counseled and be counselors. Okay? Same way with everybody in the room. Any questions? And we'll close. Questions? Yes, sir.
Amen, brother. Thank you. Yes. It really is not rocket science. That's the, the problem with our heart. Our hearts are still so desperately sick that to seek first the kingdom is not always our first inclination. And so we have to battle. We have to fight. We have to strive. We have to put in the holy sweat in order to seek first the kingdom. Following Christ is painful. Yes, sir, and then yes, sir. That's a good question. Yes, we'll talk about that tomorrow. And yes, you need to be very observant. We'll talk about being observant, watching people. Yes, good question. Absolutely, it will come in tomorrow. We'll talk about that too. And the point is, is that it is motivation. It is a dramatic motivation. God uses several different motivations to try to get people to do what he wants them to do. Sometimes it's just love. Love is, is he talks about how much he loves them and shows them and demonstrates that. Sometimes he says, you're going to get a spanking and it's going to be rough. And then sometimes he's talking to a general audience and says, I don't know where your heart is. You're not showing much fruit if you don't repent you could face judgment because you're not really a believer. Yeah, that is one of the things. I've had those conversations. Unfortunately, I've had those conversations with somebody that went off with somebody else, with another, left his spouse and went off with somebody else. And the first conversation was pleading, talking about how much God loved them. The second conversation was love again and grace and Around the third or fourth conversation we met, it's like, you know, you're vulnerable. And if you don't get disciplined, if you're not disciplined by God, you better be afraid because you might not be a believer. And the last conversation was, you're showing no evidence of a believer. You're about to face a just God. And if you die, you're, you're headed towards hell is the way it looks. You better repent. Those were very hard conversations but very real conversations. You don't start there always, but yeah. Other questions? Yes, sir. For, for that was months, it was months. And then there was a lot of text in between. I spent months on that situation. Matter of fact, a year. A year. That was a long timeline on that. So that kind of answers some of the other stuff. Yes, Stephen. Yeah, and that, that's a good question. I mean, 
I'll tell you the thing that I think that has been one of my favorite things to do with somebody when I just see that they're at a very desperate spot and they're just, is to, to pray with them, to spend time praying with them and say, hey, let's just call out to God together. And, and I'll pray sometimes for 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes and just let them cry out to God for help. And, and then there's the constant remind. I, I, I admit I am the sheepdog. If, if there's somebody burdened and they express that burden to me and they show that burden to me, I try, I attempt to continue to go back to them through text, praying for them, calling them, coming up to them at church, asking how you doing. Y'all, how many of you have had that? I come up to you and say, how you doing? I've had some of those where I say, how you doing? And they just burst out in tears. And I'm like, okay, we need to pray again. Can I pray right now? So, uh, yeah, I think you just got to stay persistent. You got to stay with them as much as you can. Not that ultimately we're going to be able to fix it, but we'll do everything in our power to help them by the grace of God, right? Any other questions? I hope you've been edified. Have you? Okay. All right. If there's no more questions, we'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we see that you are the God who sustains us. You're the one that sanctifies us, and we're thankful for that. We do pray, Lord, that if there's sin in our own hearts, that you help us uh, to see it. Please convict us of our sin and help us to be restored to you, to trust you, to rely upon you. Father, we do pray also that we will be uh, good counselors, kind counselors, biblical counselors, biblical disciple makers uh, that will be like you, that will encourage one another, admonish one another, and help the, the weak. Uh, we love you, Father. We thank you for our night. We pray you bring us back here safely in the morning that we can dig back in and see how to make disciples, how to encourage one another and counsel one another. We love you. We commit our night to you in Christ's name. Amen.